Alrighty, welcome to a musical osmosis mini episode where intelligent dissident thought means melodic euphonious reality. Um, I've been on for like five hours. Everybody should know by now that I am Nick the Saucy One Cat Soros. However, my usual musical osmosis host, um, co-host rather, Odell, calling in Hello. from Charm City. How do you do, sir? It's finally Doing- here. It is here, man. Doing great. It's a it's a great day, man. It's uh, it's a, uh, you know this is going on. There's a street festival, uh, you know, about five minutes away. So it's nice to uh, get up and go outside and hear punk music at the end of your street. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good. It's going to be a good day. Oh, it is already a good day. Of course, Dwayne had to chime in with his OCD and tell me we've only been on for four hours. Um, <laughs> I've been on four hours. Adele, you are just joining us to do musical osmosis. So, how does yeah. it feel? To f- it is finally here. It is good. It, it actually, well, at least for me, it seems like it went by pretty quick to get here. I mean, we, you know, we talked earlier this morning, but uh, no, it's been a while since we've done this, man. So I'm glad that we're we're back at it, and 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 Tin Can Media is doing its thing. So I'm really excited, man. All righty, let's get Dave in here. Dave Smalley, are you with us? Yes, sir. How you doing? Dave, I am doing great. I'm right hey, off Dave. the bat. I hey, how you doing, brother? Good, good, man. Hey, Dave, I want to tell, um, do this right off the bat. I want to tell you that your music, it had such a huge impact on me. And not just as a musician, but also as a socially aware human. Do you, like, when you go out in the world and you do these things and you make this music, do you think about the impact it has? Is How important is that to you versus the actual music-making process? Well, that's a great question. I think uh, in the beginning days, you know, in the early 80s, you know, in the Boston crew and, you know, all the craziness that was going on back then, and we were all pretty much kids, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, if you told me then, you know, people are going to be saying DYS in 2016 or beyond, hopefully, you know, I wouldn't have maybe believed that. But um, I think now with, you know, Down by Law and, and Dag Nasty and all, you know, added on to the to the to the list, you know, to the menu or whatever. Um, yeah, I do. I do realize that it has implications, and 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 that what I do or say is probably going to be taken very seriously by by folks, you know. So yeah, I, I do think about it. All right, um, I want to kind of start with this because I'm somebody who's been into punk, played in several bands throughout my life, never made it to any kind of notable level. But as somebody such as yourself who has contributed so much to the punk scene, blood, sweat, and tears, 30 years, and you've seen and experienced probably everything within the scene, do you think kids coming up today have a sense of that history or even an appreciation for what that movement meant when it was starting out in the 70s and 80s? You know, I think, look, we're all individuals, right? And so it's going to vary. Um, you know, I think some folks are just into stuff, uh, now and they discover it. And, you know, you can't really expect, uh, an 18 year old today to fully grasp what it was like to get in fights with jocks or be chased by, you know, police for spray painting your band's logo on the wall or, you know, any of that (laughs) stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's like, I can't really demand that, but, um, what I do respect are the folks who, kind of go back and do a little musical research, you know? And I mean, for instance, I go back and look at Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley and, and, uh, you know, sort of the origins of, of rock and roll in the United States, you know? And, and so I wasn't there in 1950 or whatever, but I'm still, you know, able to 
to take my, my time and, and learn about it. So the folks who can do that, I, I think that's all you can ask, really. And well, you know, the other thing, too, is I don't want to make – I'm glad that we went through all that and, like, that other people don't have to do some of that stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, shows carrying carrying amplifiers up seven flights of stairs to the media workshop and all these other places, and uh, you know, in Boston or whatever, and you know, playing Elks Lodge, and you know, having the people not realize it was a punk show and shut the show down, and you know, some stuff like that. And yeah, nothing wrong with it, but I'm I'm glad well, I went through, and other people don't have to. Some in some ways. Well, on a side note, uh, according to your wiki, you were there for Chuck Berry because, according to your Wikipedia page, you're like 78 years old. Yeah. Oh, right on. You were born. Okay. You were born in 1949. You were born in 49. Five years after my dad. So. uh, Excellent. um, Excellent. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't deal with all that. All that stuff. I don't really follow that. I. I think somebody (laughs) else had told me that as well. That there's some erroneous stuff. But yeah, I don't have time to really. you know, do all that stuff. So if it says 49, so be it. Hey, it was a good year. Nice. You're, you're looking good. You're looking good for that age, though. You're looking really good. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> Odell, we didn't get to do our usual yeah. shtick where we set everything up and talk about what the band meant to us, what Dave Smalley's music meant to us. But I, yeah. me and you growing up together, there was never yeah. a party where there wasn't a Dave Smalley-related band playing in the background. No, actually, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, my knowledge of Dave is sort of backwards. Like, I started with awe and then went backwards. So, like, I, I, when I got into punk, really into punk rock, you know, my first love was, like, The Descendants and Screeching Weasel and those type of bands. And then, of course, just going from The Descendants, you know, listening to awe and then going backwards. So, like, I think I got my first Dagnasty album um was like 95 or 96, and it was actually because uh, uh, CDs were starting to make the mood. So um, um, the Oracle himself, Pat Sheehan, was getting CDs of all the tapes that he had, and he just gave me a whole bunch of tapes one day, like 20 tapes. And yeah, then, uh, yeah, he did the same with me yeah, too. Yeah, and um, and Dag Nasty was in there, and then once I once I heard it, that was my music going up and down the roads to Frostburg. So um, yeah, so I actually started with all and worked my way back. Uh, with Dave, which, like you said, Nick, it, it has always been an influence on us as well. And let me ask an all-related question. Thank you question very much. Glad to, glad to hear it. I don't oh. care whether you're late to the party or, or early to the party, uh, as long as you're at the party. Nice. Uh, yeah. Let me throw this all-related question out there. I know when I first heard of all, and I understood the dynamic that Milo was leaving the Descendants, and I was an, an, a Descendants super fanboy, even though they didn't have that term back then. And I was kind of the mind at first, oh, fuck these guys. If it wasn't for, like, Dave Smalley and all, there would still be a Descendants. Now, of course, I grew to love both bands. But back then, was there a lot of resistance at shows like Dio taking over Black Sabbath? Like people are like, "What are you doing on the stage with these guys?" <laughs> hey, let me just say that some of some of that Dio Black Sabbath stuff is untouchable, man. It's it's amazing. Favorite so, album is if, Heaven and Hell for me from Black. Right Sabbath. on, That's me too. Album. So if you're gonna if you're gonna compare me to Dio, I'm okay with that. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I, I feel like uh, there wasn't really because Descendants, as, as I think most people know now, were not. Uh, broken up or anything because of all, you know, Milo, you know, going back to college, you know, 2.0 and, and, uh, you know, they just, um, they, they wanted to keep going as a band as well. They should, cause they're amazing players and songwriters. So they called me up and I was actually living overseas at the time. And, uh, I knew Billy from, uh, Dag had played with, uh, 
with Black Flag. No, excuse me, DYS had played with Black Flag, and Dag had played with Descendants. So I knew Bill a little bit, and, um, you know, we just talked a bunch on the phone, and, you know, he said his phone bill was over $1,000. Um, so, because back then, you know, we didn't have any sort of savings plans or whatever, you know, you, yeah. would, you would just call people and it cost Break you an arm and a leg. You know? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, in the very old days, you used to find broken pay phones, and you could call – um, you know, there people would word would get out quickly in a given city or town. You know, there's a broken payphone. You know, at Main and Summer Street or whatever, and and you you'd see this long line of often punk rock guys, but you know, just general kids and stuff, and they'd be making calls because they you'd be able to call for free from these from these payphones. So those days are long gone. But uh, yeah, I was a pretty anyway. So yeah, kid. all all descendants were. Two all in descendants are like a big brother, little brother, I think, and nothing to do yeah. with uh, one or the other not being there. Back well, in you the know day, what's so funny? Oh. Real quick, Adele, back in the day, oh, I was yeah. such a uh, rough little hooligan. I would actually go to the hospital down the street from myself, and I would go into the hospital room and lay in the bed and make fo- long distance phone calls. Never got Whoa, caught that's doing pretty that. Pretty hardcore. Either. That's extreme. <laughs> in McKeesport, Adele, so you know what I'm saying. Oh, well, it is McKeesport, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the payphones because when I, uh, I think it was one of the war tours, this was years ago, I actually met the descendants by a payphone at RK Stadium. They were all out there on a payphone, and we were walking out after everything was over. I just looked over, and I was like, wait a minute, guys. That's, hey. And then we went over and talked to them for about 10 minutes. It was, it was, <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned the whole payphone thing. But um, real quick. Yeah, that's some good days. Yeah. <laughs> I know, uh, you know, you, you've been big into punk rock and, and hardcore. Um, how did you get into that since uh, I was checking you out and it said, you know, basically you were talking about how you grew up in, like, church choirs and, and went to musicals or were in musicals. How did that transform you into the punk hardcore scene, if you will? Well, I think the benefit of all of that stuff that you mentioned, like the choir singing and, and all of that was um, and all the musicals, was that it really – I had some really great um, training on how to sing and, and, you know, uh, instinctively, you know, I think, you know, we're all here for a reason, whatever that reason is varies every person. But for me, pretty, pretty much I've kind of come to accept that, Hey, the reason I'm here is to, uh, you know, make people happy and and make people hopefully think a little bit and, you know, and enjoy life and, and challenge themselves, you know? And so that was all, you know, the singing side came from the church choirs and stuff, but, you know, once I discovered, uh, the clash and, and the Ramones and um, yeah, those yeah. kinds of bands in the sort of the late, I'd say the late seventies. Oh, you're going to hear my little GPS, my little GPS lady there. But um, anyways, uh, yeah. So it was just, it was, it was like, um, you know, the two things weren't, weren't contradictory actually. They were kind of complimentary. Mm-hmm. My um, co-host from my political show wants to say something, Dwayne the Badger. Dwayne, what do you got for us? I just want to say hi. I just want when history rewrites itself, it can, I can say that I was on every episode on this 12-hour show. I'm just saying hi. Great show, guys. Good luck. I enjoyed listening. Talk How to you selfless later. of you. Okay, thanks, Dwayne. Thanks. I know I'm rapid-firing questions at you, Dave. I appreciate you keeping up. I want to shift gears because this is something I really want to talk about. You have played in a multitude of bands, and if we have time, I want to get to your recent article, Why Gun Nuts Lie, too, which I thought was fascinating. phenomenal. Okay. But you've played in multiple bands. You do a lot of writing. You're in all these creative endeavors. Now, I know a lot of people who get into one band, 
and they're happy just doing that. Even some of the older metal bands, you see them 20. I saw the Scorpions play like 10 years ago, and I recognized every Scorpion song, and I haven't listened to the Scorpions in 20 years. And a lot of bands are just happy going out and going through the same routine. It's an automatic reflex, I guess, with them. Could you, if you got into a band early on and it struck gold, could you do that band, even if you were producing new music every year, and play in that same dynamic forever? Or do you have to jump from project to project to keep it, to keep your interest in it? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think uh, if you love what you do, right? And I'm, you know, I don't know the Scorpions, except of course, you know, the same, probably the same five great songs that you know, you know. But, but like, uh, if you love it, there's nothing wrong with it. So the people who are still doing their their thing in, in the same bands, and there's some in the punk world, right? Like there are some that that are still doing it yeah, in fear. the punk world as well. Oh, yeah. It's not just, yeah, it's not just it's not just the the rock and roll world. But if you love what you do. And, and you're happy, you know, life is very short. You know, you get 70, 80 years if you're, if you're lucky and, and then, you know, and then who knows what's next. So if you're happy, man, it's, it's fine. Go for it. But for me, I always found like there were either life circumstances or, um, you know, musical uh, variations that I wanted to try. And, you know, so, so for me, it wasn't so much that I felt like I had to leave a particular group, but, each time there were things that I thought were calling me in a different direction. Wow. Um, another thing that I had read about you, and we have talked a little bit about metal, so I, I really thought this was interesting. You refer to ACDC a lot. You are a huge ACDC fan. And just kind yes, of sir. our format here, what do you think about Axl Rose taking over? Because it seems like a complete fucking nightmare to me. Yeah, and it is. And and the thing is, you know, it's it's... So there are some groups that can change a singer, right? So ACDC being one of the paramount examples of ones that actually pulled it off. You know, Van Halen never really pulled it off, although Sammy Hagar is an amazing vocalist. Um, you know, Van Halen just couldn't do it, you know. And, and I could never see them with anyone else. Um, and that's why I was so happy when David Lee came back. But, you know, for ACDC, they actually pulled it off. And I would argue that Brian Johnson is, you know, as good in his way you know, at least as, as Bon Scott. Right. But, um, but Axel kind of came in with a whole different thing. Like Brian Johnson came in, you know, tabla rasa, blank slate, you know, and, and nobody knew what to expect. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, mm -hmm. and whereas Axel comes in with some prior conceptions and image and, and vocal style. And it's really hard, I think for longtime ACDC fans to, um, to, to merge those two realities. So right. certainly I agree with you, man. It's the same for me. But on the other hand, he's probably psyched. He gets to sing for ACDC, which as a singer, you know, probably that's a secret, you know, wish for every singer. So there you yeah. go. Indeed. All right. Um, we spoke of your many bands. Let's play some Down by Law. I want to listen to some Down by Law. D, you got that all queued up? Let's play yeah. some all in.
can you hear me? Yeah. Am I there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you are. Love sorry, that. sorry, I blipped <laughs> out for a minute. I actually have um I've got had a few people messaging me uh saying, Oh my god, this is cool. I like this. So that's good. Oh good. Awesome. Mm-hmm. The energy level is off the charts, I feel like, with punk music, especially the particular kind of punk that promotes unity and social awareness that you don't find in rap and metal. I mean, is this just a, like a, the truest voice thing, Dave, that this is just the most... I always said punk rock is the most honest music there is, and I am a fan of metal and rap and other genres. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I totally understand the question, but let me just say there's truth to be found in many beneath many a different rock, you know, um, and, and by rock, I mean the stone, you know, you lift up the stone and you, you see different, different things, you know, and, um, you know, I, I would say that that first NWA record was as punk yeah. as anything I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that record scared people. That record was like a call to arms for, you know, a certain group of listeners and, you know, same way that the Sex Pistols was, you know, when they're, when Nevermind the Bullocks came out or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So I feel like, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's value in a lot of different genres of music and metal is, you know, metal or metal has a lot of, uh, the energy and the anthems and the, and the sort of, uh, fist in the air thing that make life worth getting out of bed in the morning too. So, you know, I'm not going to put one over the other, believe it or not. Um, I love what I do, but really respect, uh, metal and old school country like Hank senior and, Patsy Klein and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I find a lot of value in a lot of different genres. And I definitely agree with you as far as the rap thing. I always say, like when the coop went on the epitaph, like a lot of those rap guys, I don't see punk as a music as much as an attitude. I mean, I see Patrick Henry and Thomas Paine as punk rockers. I don't just paint it into this very small box. Now you're talking my language. I love it. Yeah. talking to the history dork. Yeah, man, I love it. I'm right Love there it. with you, Patrick Dave. Patrick Henry and Thomas Paine are, yeah, they're two of my heroes, actually. Me too. And we both have political science degrees, too. So that's another thing we have in common. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. I'm a history, I was a history major, so, yeah, that's it's, it's a big part of my life. I know you were talking about the NWA album. I think the reason why, in, in, in connection to what you were saying, uh, Dave, is that, you know, punk rock is very straightforward. It's in your face. The message is there. The NWA message was the same way as far as that, you know, that particular album. Uh, Public Enemy is another one. Um, they, they, there's nothing, there's no hitting meanings behind any of it. It's like, this is what it is, and this is what we're saying. And I think that's why bands like that really resonated with, you know, not only, you know, African-Americans, but uh, white people as well. I think it just crossed over the line because it's like, wow, these guys are, you know, just basically putting it out there. This is what's going down. Right. If you if you accept the argument that at least some sliver of punk is rebellion, either rebellion against your own uh, personal demons or, you know, going up the line to rebellion against certain rules of society or, or yeah. you know, formations in society, then, yeah, then all that stuff makes total sense that punk rock fans would like that. Right. You know? And I'm not trying to say that these other venues of music are not honest. I'm just saying, for me, it seems like punk oh. is the most. We're not care. We don't care about production. We're not dressing in a certain way. We're just like, hey, hey, this is us. This is our message. This is our thing. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you mm-hmm. see a lot more of that in punk than in other genres of music. Mm-hmm. Is what I was trying mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Yeah. All right, let me finish with this because we got to go here in a few minutes. Let me ask you a chicken or an egg question I find myself asking all the time. I'm a person who came up from a pretty turbulent childhood. 
I consider myself a person from the streets. I first got turned on by, you know, by Patchy and the Oracle of Punk Rock to <laughs> Punk Rock. I knew the minute I heard it, he put in a Pegboy album. And I went home and I like threw all my Motley Crue tapes in the closet. And I was like, this is the thing I'm into now. Do you think that it's more you're hardwired a certain way because of your experiences? So you gravitate towards punk and you already had that DIY spirit and you already had like a cultural relevance to all this? Or do you think that punk is kind of open to everybody? They get in it and then slowly their value systems and their outlook start to change. Hmm, that's another good one. I I don't know. Again, I would probably say that it's different for each person, right? I'm a big believer in, in liberty and individuality and, and, and the fact that we are not, you know, sheep. We shouldn't all think the same. We shouldn't all act the same. Um, and, and so, and we do all come at life with a whole bunch of different experiences. And sometimes those change over the years and we change over the years. You know, you show me somebody who's exactly the same as when they're as 40 as when they were, you know, 18. And I'm going to show you somebody who hasn't really done a lot of growing in life, you know? Yeah, that would be sad. That being said, I I feel like for me, all I can speak of is for me. And for me, it was, you know, um, just hearing the the music and whatever it was touched my soul and my heart and my brain and kind of like what you had with that magic moment with that tech boy record, you know, which, you know, by the way, as an artist, when you hear that kind of story, um, it makes you really happy because, you know, that's, that meant that what you did, you know, you tossed the, the stone in the pond and had some ripples, right? And that's a good thing. But, um, you know, for me, it just, it, everything lit up, you know, and I was like, okay, this is who I am. This matches who I am. And so I was whoever I was. And, and then the music kind of matched my, my angst and my teenage rebellion and, yes. and all that stuff. That's how I felt. All right, I want to finish up with this. You wrote an amazing article, Why Gun Nuts Lie, I Know From Experience. I thought it was incredibly introspective and honest. Uh, What was the catalyst for this article? Why did you write this and put yourself out there like that? Wait, what what is the article, sorry? Um, Why Gun Nuts Lie? Is that a different Dave Smalley? It must be, man. That's not me. But if it's good, if it's really good, maybe I'll take credit for it. I don't know, but it's definitely not me. Well, man, I just stuck my foot in my mouth. Yes, there's an article oh, wow. by right. Dave Smalley, and I thought it was you. And it's a really good um, article on Outlook. It was just it just came is out. It, actually, is it on the month. second? Is it a Second Amendment article or? Um, it's more from the is perspective that, that of, of absolutism. The gun absolutists have hijacked the whole gun movement. Oh no, I'd like to read it, but it's not for me. So, okay. um, oh wow. Yeah. Man, I should have vetted yeah. that first. I feel like a jackass. That's all right. right. No problem, man. No problem. That's Ooh. it. Don't worry about it. Odell, I'll let you finish this up. No, I know. Um, I know. I think this is about you. Uh, you you've done. Uh, I guess the last year or so, last couple of years, you've been doing like solo shows compared to yeah, uh, the, to more of the, uh, the group. So, how does that differ? Uh, what does it feel like? I guess is my is my question to you compared to you know being on stage in a band performing. Um, uh, what's the difference between the solo shows and, and, and a group show, if you will? Oh, that, that's a great question. I, I feel like, um, so there's, it gets a little more complicated even than that because my solo shows, I'm doing some live with some friends of mine who are amazing musicians and we, okay. we perform sets with either, you know, like we just did a set in New York and in uh, at Buffalo um, of all the Can I Say songs and, um, you know, and sometimes we'll do Down by Law and All and Dag Nasty and 
DYS songs as part of the set. So, so that kind of has the same vibe um, as, as a full band because it is a full band. Um, okay. But the, the solo shows where it's just me or just me and a friend, uh, you know, playing um, together, it's very intimate. And it's what I find really interesting is some of the reactions um, to some of the folks who've been there. I mean, uh, and, and this is said in a very admiring way from me is that people have cried during these shows and, and like, wow, wow. you know, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of hugs afterwards. And, you know, because people who grew up with this music, uh, it's part of who they are. And I'm a big believer that once you write a song and you, you put it out to the world, it's no longer your song. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's each person's song who listens to it and loves it. And so, you know, I'm kind of playing the soundtrack, in some cases to people's lives. And that, that's a huge responsibility that I you know, take very seriously, but, uh, you know, it's very intimate and very, uh, it's kind of a beautiful thing, you know, which is why I keep doing it from time to time. Um, just a, it's just a beautiful connection, taking the songs to a different musical and spiritual level. Um, you know, I'm always going to be a raging rock and roller, but, um, those moments when you can, sometimes you got to listen to, things, you know, everybody feels this way. I'm sure, you know, you can listen to Judas Grace for 10 hours in a row, but eventually, you know, you're going to want to listen to maybe Police and Thieves by The Clash or whatever, you know, or, or Our Own Way by Down By Law or An All Song or whatever. You know, you're going to want to listen to something different, a different a change of gears, as it were. You know, you can't be, you know, 80 miles an hour on the highway all the time. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'd go with that one. All right. Well, it's time to wrap it up. We got Corey Clark on the line. Dave, we've got to have you back on the actual Hour Music yes, Show because I haven't even yes. scratched the surface of your history and contribution to punk. Well, I'm happy to do it and I uh, wish you guys great success. And uh, to all your listeners, you know, I hope you guys out there are going to crank it up full volume. Where can everybody find you online and what are you working on before you walk out the door here? Um, I am, uh, I mean, the best way to, to kind of go is there's a Dave Smalley page on Facebook. There's one that's actually mine. I think right now I have a picture of uh, Johnny Ramone on the cover of my, whatever, my profile picture or whatever. But, um, there's a couple other ones that just other people started, but the one that's mine is, is the one that, uh, that has a picture of Johnny Ramone on it right now. They'll probably change that. You know, now that I said that, but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's uh, it's it's all good, and I'm happy to. I, I the only bad part is I think I'm nearing. Somebody told me just recently that you only can have I think five thousand friends, and I just accept almost everybody. You know, and and so I think I'm like at four thousand nine hundred something. So uh, if anybody wants to get so on that list, Dave I guess quick. You get on pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I'll put you on. No problem. All right, thank you, Dave Odell. Thank you are so much, you babe. sticking around, or you, you got to head back out? I got to head back. I got a wife with about three kids out there on the street, so I got to get out there. Ah, uh, okay. We'll it. see you back here. <laughs> what time are you coming back? When are we doing the next music? Six o'clock, right? Six o'clock. Yeah. Now, now, now that one I'll be on for the pool. I can, I can be on for the pool. Um, okay. Hour with you. So All righty. Sounds good. 